I'm a little excited today, so we're going to pray just that uh, God will can take over a little bit. So, uh, Heavenly Father, I just uh, again come before you um, that you would just slow my heart down, that you would slow my mind down, that you would control my tongue, that you would make me articulate with your words, that you would open the ears of those that are here, the, the hearts, the souls, the minds, everything to take this message in that you've provided, Lord. We love you. We know that you are in control, that you know all of the things will happen in our lives. You've witnessed them all ahead of us. And we just ask that you would give us that comfort, that we know that we are held in your hands every single day. In Christ's name, amen. So it's interesting to me. I love God, how he works things out. I just love it. I don't get it, but I love it. And that's why I think I was led to teach about God's sovereignty. Funny thing is, I'm going to be teaching on Isaiah 40. Of course I am, because Joe picked Isaiah 40 and we didn't talk. So it's interesting. I'm like, oh, here, I, can. I showed Jody and Robert, so it wasn't a fluke. You know, I feel like a magician. I was just in Vegas. I was like, he pulled out the number that I was thinking. So it was great. It was, he was good. So. But, you know, as you know, we're all having some changes in our lives, um, myself included. Um, as you know, I was associate pastor here until December 31st. Have I reconciled all of that? No. Have I figured it out? No. And do I fish a lot? Yes. To wrestle with it. It takes my mind off of things. But that's where I have to rely on God. I have to rely on God because I know God's got it all figured out. In my flesh, I'll never figure it out. I thought I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. I was exactly in the place he wanted me, and I was. I just didn't know it was for a shorter amount of time. And I don't know what tomorrow looks like. So that's why we have to rely on God. I have to ask myself, is it my understanding or is it God's understanding that I'm searching for? I'm searching for God's understanding. I was listening to, um, two weeks ago, I was listening to Tony Evans. I don't know if anybody's familiar with him, but I would just typed in Sovereign God, and I started listening to messages, and I was trying to find confirmation of what I was thinking. And he puts it very well. He said, our view of God will determine our view of life, or will our view of life determine our view of God? Another way to say it is, if God is your reference point, you will be able to make sense of that which has no sense. But if circumstances are your reference point, then you will neither be able to make sense of your life or make sense of God. So if you are relying on what is happening in your life right now to determine who God is and where is God and why would he do this to me and all of that, you've got it backwards. He uses everything in our lives for a reason. He is sovereign. He is the one that is over all. He is controller, ruler, creator. He is all of that. So, as we know from Job, the devil even had to go to God and ask permission to do anything. So God either controls it, does it, or allows it. He knows Everything that happens. He allows us to have free will so we can choose to sin or not sin. 
He allows that. It's way bigger than we ever imagined. So there's a couple questions I have. Are you willing to surrender your will to follow God's will? Or another way is, are you willing to replace your will with God's will? Or do you believe his word and promises to be true? As I showed earlier this week, confessed during the offering, I didn't. I didn't believe. I didn't believe his promise to be true. So there's two things. The first, very first truth we have to always remember is we're Christians because we believe Christ's blood is our redemption for our sin. And that's what makes us eternal in heaven. But the second thing we have to remember is God is sovereign. And if we get that, then we'll understand what life is. So to show some of those sovereignty, some of his, what he does, I was going, I'm using Isaiah 40. And I'm going to go skip around. I'm just going to go through it really quick. I'm not going to read every verse of Isaiah 40 because it's long, but in 6, as Joe pointed out, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the breath of God blows on them, or because the breath of God blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. 12, he has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on a scale, and the hills in a balance? Verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. And finally, 21 to th- through 31, the end of, this, of the uh, chapter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was formed? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, And young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 
I mean, did you, did you hear it? He holds the entire creation in the palm of his hand. All of it. In the palm of his hand. From his thumb, the breadth of his hand. From his thumb to his finger. All of it. And we're, we don't know that he is sovereign over everything. But then in Matthew 10, he reassures us that we are important. Matthew 10, 29-31 shows... Are not two little sparrows sold for a copper coin? And yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, for the father is sovereign and has complete knowledge. So do not fear, you are more valuable than any sparrow. So he has all of the magnitude in his presence at all the time, but he also knows everything detail all the time. He knows every single thing. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground and it's his will. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows every star by name. It's hard to fathom, and we can't. It says it in Scripture. We won't fathom. We cannot fathom his knowledge. We can't fathom because we, we try in our humus to, to find God, and we can't. You know, there's nothing that can define God. Because if you can define God with vocabulary, guess what? Vocabulary is then bigger than God. And if you can give God a, human, a shape, then geometry is bigger than God. There is nothing. So we use illustrations of walking through the garden, all of these things, so that we can understand it better, but it doesn't contain God when we do the, those things. You know, late, sometimes we hear, that'll never happen. I can't do that. God can't do that. There's no possible way. But why not? Why can't it happen? We know God can do it. He can do miraculous things. We, we just, we limit what we think God can do. I mean, we look at, the, I mean, look at the Bible. We believe the stories about David and Goliath. We believe stories about Daniel in the lion's den. We believe about Moses and parting the Red Sea. We believe Jonah and the fish. We believe Peter walked on water. I mean, if you truly believe the scripture, you believe all of those stories. You believe that all of the disciples were common men that became great ambassadors for the faith. They died for it. It still worked out for God's will. You believe in the virgin birth. You believe in Lazarus being raised from the dead. You believe in all of the miraculous healings. You believe that even Jesus is your Savior. Why can't it be us? Why can't? We have the same exact author. The one that writes the same story for all of those lives and all of those stories writes the same stories for our lives. We have the exact same author. So he can do it. He is able to do it. He will do it if we want him to or if we don't want him to. And sometimes what we see is not the end result. Prophets talk about the forecast of Jesus 600 years before, 2,000 years before. I mean, there's so many things that are before, and they never get to see the ripple of where it happened. So things that are happening in your life, being fortune or misfortune, whichever way you want to look at it, they happen because God allowed them. Some of them were created by you, some were created by others, and some were created by God, by Satan, whatever. 
but they all happen under God's watchful eye. One of my favorite stories is Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, found in Daniel 3. I mean, you all know that they got thrown into the fiery furnace. But before they get thrown in the fiery furnace, they understand sovereignty. They say, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If, you, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They got it. There's no way in our human mind that we can think that we can walk out of a fiery furnace. That we will not be burned up in a furnace. I mean, start a fire this afternoon and try it. I don't recommend it. Okay. Forgot the kids were in here. Kids, don't listen to that. <laughs> okay, you're smart. Good. I mean, I've, I've done things where I had, uh, we tore a porch off the front of our house one time. I built a big, huge campfire. I had fireman's boots on. So I walked through the fire. My denim was not fireproof. But my boots came out fine. <laughs> so I learned quickly that you can burn up in a fire pretty easy. So, but, so they understood it. And this is hard because so many times we try and think we're in control of things. We're doing, we do have a responsibility. We do have to do our part. Don't get me wrong. We still have responsibility. We don't just go, oh, well, whatever God wants to do. You know, we can't just live our life haphazardly. We still have a responsibility. But I'm going to give you some more scripture just to remember. Proverbs 16.9, in their hearts, human plans their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 20, 24, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? Proverbs 16, 33, it deals with chance and luck. The, la- the lot is cast into the, the lap. The lot being throwing of dice. The lot is cast into the lap, but it is every decision is from the Lord. So even the dice being rolled, how they land is going to be decided by the Lord. In Lamentations 3, 37 through 38, who, who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? It's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. So I'm going to have... Um, the story of Joseph is not one that I shared. And if you guys remember, we went through this. Some of you have been here long enough that we went through the story... And there's a video, and it tells Joseph's entire life in about three minutes. So I'm going to have the um, booth go ahead and put that video up, and then we'll just talk about, and it illustrates both calamity and um, good things. Jacob had 12 sons, but his favorite was Joseph. One day, Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers who were working in the fields. Joseph's brothers resented him, and when they saw him coming, they attacked him and threw him in a well. Then they sold their brother as a slave 
took off his coat, soaked it in goat's blood, and showed it to their father, tricking him into believing a wild animal had killed Joseph. Soon after, Joseph was sold to a military official in Egypt as a servant. God helped Joseph do great work, and the official was very happy with him. Joseph was very handsome, and the official's wife tried day after day to seduce him. One day, she pressured Joseph so much that he ran out of the house, leaving his coat behind. She told everyone that he tried to force himself on her. The official was furious and threw Joseph in jail. God once again helped Joseph in all he did. And eventually, he was put in charge of all the prisoners. Joseph had the special ability to interpret people's dreams. One day, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, asked Joseph to interpret one of his dreams. He dreamed that seven fat cows were eaten by seven skinny cows, and seven heads of healthy grain were eaten up by seven heads of dried up grain. God helped Joseph interpret the dream. Egypt would experience seven years of successful farming, followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh was impressed and put Joseph second in charge of Egypt. During the famine, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking for food. When they got there, they met with Joseph, but didn't recognize him right away. When Joseph finally told them who he was, they wept because they were sorry for what they had done. Eventually, they went and got their father Jacob and brought him back to Egypt. Joseph took care of his entire family, giving them property in the best part of the land where they lived for the rest of their lives. A lot of stuff happened to Joseph in his life. Most of it was not his fault. I mean, you think about it. He's, his brothers are jealous, so they put him in a, in a pit, and they go, wait, we can get money for him. We'll sell him. So they sell him. Goes off to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. Story was illustrated. We go on to being in jail. It's like 12 years between the time he's sold and the time that he is put at Pharaoh's right hand. 12 to 15 years is the speculation of how long he was in prison. So in that period of time, do you think he was sitting down in in the dungeon? Not like our prisons. There's no TV. There's no education. There's no books. There's, it's a dungeon. I mean, there's, they're hoping the mice eat them, you know? I mean, it's bad. But do you think he's sitting in there going, well, hmm, this is a really good day today. I'm going to just sit here all day and not you know, he's going to be, I'm pretty sure he got down on his dumps. I mean, he, he was, I'm sure, like when we have our hard times, we get our doldrums, we have our bad days, we have our times where we're like, where is God in this? But we get to see from beginning to end in the stories in the Bible. We just don't get to see our end. But we're living in a time when God is allowing certain things. So Joseph gets sold off into slavery the ball starts rolling. He becomes the, the second in command, saves Israel and Egypt from a famine so that the, the, I guess the nation, not country, but the nation of Israel is saved. See how God's sovereignty works? I mean, he could have done it another way, but this is the way he chose to do it. So he used Joseph, who has to go through 12 to 15 years of hardship and prison and beatings. I'm sure there was beatings. I mean, it just lines up with how things were back then from what we know from history. 
And then he, he go, his brothers come, and in, our, in our, myself, not today, but in the old days, I would try and get even. So you did that to me? I guess I don't have any grain for you. Sorry, folks. Thanks for coming all the way over here, but I don't have anything for you because you did this to me. You know? But instead, verse 20 of, of Genesis 50 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Does that give you hope when you get in your bad spots? When life gets tough? Does that give you hope that you're not forgotten? I hope, that, I hope that's what I was trying to illustrate today in the message. God is always there. God is always with us, no matter the hard times, the good times. I think we have to have hard times because otherwise we don't appreciate the good times. I think we do some of these things to ourselves because we choose to follow something other than God. We make decisions that don't line up with what He wants for our lives. I think that's part of it. But He will work it out. And we may not see it in our lifetime. We may not see it now. And sometimes, I think, honestly, I know for a fact, sometimes people's walk on earth is cut short to accomplish God's plan. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Especially if you've lost someone that's close to you. I mean, I know of a young man, I don't even remember his name. He was 28, newly married. It was 1998 or 99, and he was the um, vice president of the Wells Fargo or vice branch manager of the Wells Fargo here in town when they were on Main Street, and then they had the branch in the city market for those that have been around for a while. And he was driving to Denver for a business meeting, and he crashed on 285, and he, and he died in that car accident. And every time that it snows, I think about that. And it, can, it changes how I drive because I know what it did to his wife, and I know all the, the ramifications that happened after that, but it has changed how I drive. It changes how I view things, and I use all of those other situations and in my own stories. And I hope that I provide sometimes that things that have been hard in my life may have changed how you guys look at things or how things have happened. You know, I know at one point, you know, Kelly and I almost got a divorce. And I think that was so that God would show, give us compassion for people who are struggling in their marriages so that we have a better understanding of what people are going through. And if you change your mindset of being instead of, oh, woe is me, to what is God doing in this? What am I supposed to learn? What, a, what is God's plan? If you change that mindset, it's easier to get through it. It's still hard, but it's easier to know. This is way bigger than me. I am just a little piece of dust. I am tiny, but I'm very important still. God doesn't forget anyone. Does not leave anyone out on their own. Everyone. And it's our choice if we want to follow or not follow to some degree. I don't believe there's a, I don't think there's anyone that anyone, anything, I don't even know how to go, even go bigger than that, but nothing that God does not have his eye on if he has eyes. We don't know, but he sees us.
So how does he do that? He doesn't have eyes. I don't know. But can't define him. So, but that's my, that's my message today. That's my message. Is that we, no matter what we as a church are going through, no matter what we individually are going through, what you're doing as a couple, a family, whatever, a work relationship, whatever that relationship is, no matter what we're going through, God is sovereign over all of it. And it will work out to glorify God. No matter what it is. Because I may want to do something, and if God doesn't allow it, it doesn't happen. Plain and simple. He decrees it. I can say it all day long, but until he decrees it, it doesn't happen. So, it's interesting. It's interesting to see God's perspective on things. And know that we are only doing what he is allowing us to do. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You know each one of us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know the purpose of our lives. You know why you created us and why we are here. I ask you to just stir our minds and our hearts and search for you earnestly every single day. Help us to plan our steps so they align with your glory. Give us the passion and the desire to follow you every single one of our days, every minute, every second. Lord, I also know that you've said in Scripture, today today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So I ask right now that you would change us to say, if it is your will, we will do this or we will do that. In Christ's name, amen.